Today's sermon is forever on his hands, forever on his hands. And we're going to be turning to our central scripture, and I'll read it first. Isaiah chapter 49, verses 14 through 18. As we continue this year in our sermons drawn from the book of the prophet Isaiah. Today, Isaiah 49, verses 14 through 18. Hear now God's word. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me, and my sovereign has forgotten me. Can a woman forget her nursing child so as not to have compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, and yet I will not forget you. Behold, on the palms of my hands I have engraved you. Your walls are continually before me. Your sons will hurry to you. Your destroyers and those who laid you waste will leave you. Raise your eyes all around and see. They all gather together and come to you. As I live, declares the Lord, you shall clothe yourselves with them all as an ornament and bind them on yourself as a bride does. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Friends, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. So first, my introduction to today's message. I couldn't find little proverbial sayings that said exactly what I wanted, so I created some kind of picking little echoes of other things that I've heard or read throughout my life. First of all, for Mother's Day, reflection on a faithful and loving mother. A faithful and loving mother holds her child in her hands only for a season. But, moms, you know this is true, holds her child in her heart forever. And, faithful mom, continually in her prayers. You can see that. We've got that for you in the sermon notes. Um, remember that word from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, when Paul talks about Timothy and his faith heritage from his grandmother and from his mother. Paul says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that first dwelt and lived in, had a home in, your grandmother Lois, and your mother Eunice. And now, I am sure, dwells, lives, has a home in you also. So a, a loving mother, a faithful mother, holds in her hands her child only for a season, right? Right? You know. But all throughout a mother's life, that child is in her heart, and God willing, by the grace of God, in her prayers. I've quoted it before. I like this in a mood by this poignant statement by Abraham Lincoln. He, he said, I remember my mother's prayers. They have always followed me and clung to me all my life. That's a loving and faithful mother. A mother who prays with, prays aloud with, leads her children in prayer and prays for her children, prays for their life, their future, God's purposes. And those prayers bless 
and call back home, right, and direct her child, all that child's life, just like Abraham Lincoln. So that's a reflection on moms and then the related reflection on home. Again, my own little proverbial saying here because I couldn't find quite what I wanted. Home, where you are known and where you have a place always. That's what home is. Robert Frost uh, said kind of cynically and a little bit bitterly, um, when nobody else will take you in, home is where they have to take you in, no matter what, which is true. But uh, I kind of like my positive one a little bit better. Home, where you are known and where you have a place always. So to begin with today, with this introduction, don't let today go by without giving thanks. Giving thanks to God. And if you are blessed to have a mother who is still living, giving thanks to your mom. And grandmoms, if you get grandmoms there too. And you know what? If they're home with the Lord, still give thanks. If you had a faithful mother, a mother who prayed with you, who prays for you, you know that her faith and her words of wisdom and guidance linger with you and help direct you all the days of your life. In my wisdom study that we're doing in Sunday school uh, each week, today we came in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8, to that great statement. Um, for children, for a son, for children to always hear their father's instruction and to not forsake their mother's teaching. Now, the message there is that the mother is also teaching the way of the Lord, wisdom, Torah, the word of the Lord. It's a powerful calling for mothers and for fathers in what a true household is. But now, from the introduction to reality check, uh, in this world, we have no permanent home. Hebrews 13, verse 14 says, this is just an example, for here we have no lasting city. We have no lasting city. No city here will last. No nation, no empire will last. All the great nations and empires across all the millennia, they, they pass away sooner or later. A Christian, although God calls you to be faithful in your citizenship in the United States, if you happen to be a citizen of the United States, the United States is not your ultimate citizenship. Okay, you're a citizen of the kingdom of God and of the city of the Holy One. Here we have no lasting city, but we seek, what are we after? We seek the city that is to come. And in that city, of course, we know we'll glorify God and enjoy him forever and ever. Because here's the reality. Even if you're not a Christian, you ought to be able to infer that this is not our home, right? Uh, it may not be as, as extreme as... Um, you know, one of these movies where somebody's on Mars and all of a sudden the life support system starts going out and you're going to die pretty fast unless something happens. It may be a little bit longer process here, but do we last forever in this present world? Do we last forever with our present moms? Do we last forever? No, 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 we, we do not. And here's the story of the scripture. You open to Genesis chapter 2 and we're told that God made us, God created us for a home that is the intersection of heaven and earth, called the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden is where heaven and earth are together, and God is with his people. 
who are called to be his regents, made in his image and in his likeness. And, and we're supposed to be in total communion with him. That's, that's Genesis chapter 2. But remember what happens with Genesis chapter 3, right? Sin, fall, and alienation from God. Alienation from ourselves, from each other when we sin, right? We're alienated from ourselves. We're alienated from each other. The man and the woman experience that kind of alienation. And ultimately and centrally, alienation from God. So we, we went from, here's the reality of our human existence. We went from being residents in Eden, which God made as our true home, to being exiles out in a broken world, right? That, that's the ongoing story and the challenge of the Bible that the Bible presents to us. But even if you weren't a Christian, you'd kind of figure out, uh, I'm not where I'm supposed to be, ultimately. In this fallen world, we have no lasting home, nor do we have a forever source of everlasting love in this world among ourselves. And if you say, well, pastor, you just told me about, you know, children living in their mom's hearts forever. Yes, that is true. But think about this. How many of us, how many of you um, passionately love and remember your great, 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 great grandmother? Can you even name her? Hmm? We're passing through. But God, in his patient and saving grace, calls Zion, the city of his people, calls really the true Israel. That's what God increasingly is talking about through Isaiah. Calls the church, ultimately the new Jerusalem of all God's people. And listen to me, he's calling you to hear his word regarding his heart, hands, and the home he makes for you and the homecoming he makes for all his children, okay? Heart, hands, home, and homecoming. To hear his word, to see with the eyes of faith, to see God's heart, God's hands, and his home for you, and the homecoming he gives to all his children, and to live your life trusting in his heart, in his hands, and his home and homecoming that he gives to all his children. So let's begin to dig in just a little bit to this central passage that I've read from Isaiah 49, verses 14 through 18. And first of all, you can see in your notes, and I've got it for you there, take this home, write notes on it right now, add to my notes. Despair is dumb and foolish. Enough, enough already. God never forgets his beloved Zion or his children. Despair is dumb. I use that term specifically and literally. Dumb means what? If someone is dumb, we don't use that term much anymore, but what does that mean? They cannot hear, right? Remember how God through Isaiah is prophesying about how his people are going to be dumb? They're not going to hear God's word that God is bringing through Isaiah, and they'll have fat hearts, so they do not receive the word of the Lord, right? So despair is dumb. It's not hearing the word of the Lord. 
And there are a lot of people who do not want to or reject hearing the word of the Lord. But you, Christian, you, child of the kingdom and of the holy city, the new Jerusalem, you can hear. The Holy Spirit, as you trust in Jesus, opens your ears to hear and not be foolish. You know, I hope you're following along with the resources we provide on our website, including this month's Table Talk. And if you read the introduction to the devotions and the writings from this month's Table Talk, I'd love that quote from Spurgeon, didn't you? I mean, it's on anxiety. You know how this month is on anxiety. And it says, anxiety does not deliver you from the problems of tomorrow. Anxiety just robs you of your power today. It doesn't deliver you from your problems and your heartaches tomorrow. Anxiety and fear just rob you from your power today. Despair is dumb. It's not listening to God, and it's also foolish. And God says, enough already. Um, let me remind you of the context of this scripture we're reading today. We will, I can quite assure you, it will happen. We will come back and read the second of the four key servant songs that run from Isaiah 42 through 53. As you well know, I highlighted, and we looked pretty extensively for three Sundays, at the fourth of the four servant songs in that sequence, right? From 42 through 53 on the Sunday before Palm Sunday on Palm Sunday on Easter the fourth and ultimate servant song, right? About Jesus um, prophesying about the servant who is despised and rejected, pierced for our transgressions, yet he is exalted, he's God, and he will live and see all these inhabitants, all these children coming to him. Remember that? But, but this is back, this passage that we're looking at today follows the second of the four servant songs in that sequence. And, and, and it's in the opening verses of Isaiah 49, verses one through six. And this is an interesting and powerful uh, servant song because the servant himself is singing, kind of like the name implies. The servant is singing verses 1 through 6. And we, we already are starting to get now by this second servant song, this clear indication from the prophet and from the Lord himself that the servant is distinct from Israel. He's true Israel, but he's an individual who's going to have to save and redeem Israel. Okay, That's what's going on. You, you start to get that in Isaiah 49, and it's a wonderful song of gospel grace. The, the climactic verse of the six verses is this. Listen to this in verse six. He says, in other words, the Lord says to me, the servant says, the servant says, the Lord has said to me, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. In other words, that's, that's not a, a big enough mission plan for you, Savior servant, which is good news for us. How many of us are Jewish in here, by the way? How many of you watching are Jewish? Okay, so the, the picture is bigger. I will make you, the Lord says to the servant, I will make you as a light to the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Now, if you know the Gospels and you know Jesus' ministry, you know he's constantly quoting back to this and echoing this all through his ministry. So that's the conclusion of the servant song in Isaiah 49, 1 through 6. And then the Lord comes back and he reaffirms all this. The Lord affirms the gospel redemption plan that he has in verses 7 through 13. For instance, verse 8, thus says the Lord, in a time of favor, I have answered you. In a day of salvation, I have helped you. I will keep you and give you as a covenant, a barit, to the, goy, to, to the people, to establish the land, to apportion the desolate heritages. Everything is going to be restored. 
saying to the prisoners, remember how Jesus talks about this? Saying to the prisoners, come out, and to those who are in darkness appear. They shall feed along the ways, and all the bare heights shall be their pasture. Even the highest peaks, like with the snow on them, they're going to be a pasture for the people of the Lord. It's amazing. And then, 49.13, this high point, this great climax of this sequence of the servant song, and what the Lord says in response, let me remind you, back in Isaiah 1, remember how the Lord calls out heaven and earth as his witnesses and jury against his people for their unfaithfulness? Remember that, Isaiah 1? Well, now we get the reverse of this. Listen to this. This is incredible. 49, 13. Shout for joy, O heavens, and rejoice, O earth. Break forth in a joyful shouting, O mountains, for the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. Amen. Let's start the party. God is bringing the gospel. He has made it very clear that the Messiah is going to work this out. Do you believe? He's, he's calling on his people. The mountains, the heavens and the earth believe, right? Amen. Let's start the celebration. This is just like what Paul is talking about in, in Romans chapter 8. The whole creation groans in anticipation of the revelation of the sons of God, of the children of God. Now it's going to happen. Everything's going to be broken, open and restored. The children of God are going to come. Amen. So what does Zion, the congregation of the people, do? What do you do when you're in a tough time and God says, trust me in this. I got a big plan. It's going to be awesome. Verse 14, our first central verse for today, right? But Zion said, what an anticlimax. Listen to this. The Lord has forsaken me, and my sovereign has forgotten me. We're here in exile in Babylon. He's forgotten us. He'll never remember us. Jerusalem will never be restored. And by the way, the true Zion will certainly never come. God's lost, and we're just forgotten forever. Know anybody like that? Ever been that way yourself? Then Isaiah 49, 15 through 16, gives the Lord's amazing response to the despair of his people, to the congregation of Zion. Now, let me say this personally. If you are right now facing a season of despair or resignation to loss, heartbreaks, and you're tempted to believe that God has forgotten you, pass you over. I want you to hear God's word today. You belong to the Lord. You're on his heart, on his hands, and we'll be in his home forever. His sure promise is your promise. Believe it. So, uh, first, continuing with, with the main point, number one, God never forgets his beloved. He asks these rhetorical questions to which the answer is obviously no. Um, 49.15, can a woman forget her nursing child? Now picture this. We're talking about a woman who has a nursing child at her breast. You think she can forget that baby? What do you think? Um, so as not to have compassion on the son of her womb? Well, I can tell you, uh, tragically, heartbreakingly, pastorally, I've dealt in situations where women become addicts to meth or other things. Some of you have dealt with this kind of situation too. And the rest of the family has to adopt the child. 
because the mom is so caught up to, so enslaved in her addiction. She does actually seemingly forget her own child because she's chasing after what is her now, her God and her love, her addictions. So God says, well, look, even these may forget. You know, you might have an occasional mom who will forget. And yet, God says, I will not forget you. I'll, I'll never forget you. David, in Psalm 27, this transcendent song that he sings, trusts and says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold in my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And then verse 10. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will take me in. So I don't know if this historically happened. We're not clear on this. But, you know, when Saul was going after David, you notice how David doesn't go home to Bethlehem. and The family doesn't rally around him when he's on the run, right? It's kind of interesting. Um, don't want to make too much out of that. But we all deal with situations where our best, supposedly our best friends and our colleagues and maybe even our family will say, uh, you know what? You've gone a little bit too far. We can't support you in this. And David says, verse 10, even if they all forsake me, even my own mom and dad, the Lord takes me in because my home's with him. So then secondly, behold his hands. The Lord's heart always holds you. His hands. He has engraved his beloved on his palms forever. Isaiah 49, first part of verse 16. Behold, on the palms of my hands, I have engraved you. God, in his saving grace, calls Zion, calls his people, and calls you, my friend, to hear his word about his hands, to see his hands, and to trust in his hands. To trust in his hands. He knows Zion, his bride, and he knows the name of and the personhood of every child that belongs to him. I mean, obviously, he's the omniscient God. He knows everybody on the earth. But in an intimate way, in a loving way, he knows you, Christian. He knows you. And you're on his hand. Moms, and yes, dads too, sometimes forget things. Did you know this? Children, I know you're going to be shocked by this. But sometimes moms have to write things down. Dads have to write things down. Sometimes, some of you who are more technological, right, put it as reminders in your smartphones or something else. Anybody need to do that kind of thing? So, yes, yes. Some people have to do it on pieces of paper. And then sometimes, and my own wife, Nancy, she does this sometimes too. If you know what, she put it in her smartphone, but Faith or somebody is saying, hey, you didn't do this or whatever. And she said, well, I had it down, but I got busy. You know what she'll end up doing? Nancy will sometimes end up doing she writes it on her hand. Anybody ever written something on your hand? Just make sure you will not forget. Um, sometimes a mom or a grandmom or a dad with Alzheimer's writes things on her or his hands. Sometimes, you know, when someone gets to that point where they know you, but they're not able to pull your name the way they used to, I've seen this pastorally too. They will actually write the name of the wife or the husband or the child or the grandchild on their hand. And it's an assurance to them because there's a lot of stress with forgetfulness, right? It's an assurance to them that they will remember 
and be able to call your name. With the Lord, it's different. The assurance is not for the Lord. It's for you. Behold, on the palms of my hands, I have engraved you. See, literally the Hebrew here is see the palms. All kapayim, all kapayim, right? Palms. Now in Hebrew, there's a couple different words. There's a word generally for hand, which a lot of times means strength or can mean literally the whole hand, right? Yad. But there's another word, there's another word, kaf, um, that means that intimate, soft part, the palm. And that's what God is saying here in Isaiah 49. Um, by the way, if you go to the Old Testament and actually look at the Hebrew, in so many circumstances, like when Moses intercedes and prays for Israel, he raises, you'll read it in the English, it'll say his hands, but it's actually his kapayim, his palms. And when Solomon de dedicates the temple, okay, he raises his palms. Because, you know, palms, like, they indicate openness to receive God's grace and also the giving of the blessing. In fact, literally, uh, the nesiet kapayim is, is the hand motion of the blessing of the priest. With the Lord, this assurance is for us. We have signs of the new covenant that we can belong to Jesus forever. And I have them up here right now for you. We have the baptism as a sign of the new covenant. And we have the Lord's table and the Lord's supper that we share as a sign of the covenant. But you know there's another sign too. When Jesus appeared, the risen Jesus appeared to his disciples the first time, John's gospel tells us, um, Thomas was missing from the upper room. And the next Sunday, when Thomas was there, after Thomas had said, I, I won't believe, I won't believe this resurrection unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and unless I see um, the spear wound in his side. Do you remember what happened? Jesus says to Thomas, see my hands. You've heard me say this before preaching in the Gospels, but I want to remind you of this here. This prophecy from Isaiah, from God through Isaiah, is an incredible, powerful prophecy. He has engraved you on his hands. It's not a bunch of stuff written down. It's those marks. And you know what? There are going to be a lot of reasons why you'll know exactly who Jesus is when you die and see him face to face. But one of the ways you can check this out, when he embraces you, you'll see you're engraved on his hands and your salvation is secured on the palms of his hands. The scripture goes on and says, uh, not only that we're forever on his hands, but also he always sees Zion's walls and children. Your walls are continually before me, 49, 16b. Now, let me just connect this for you. 
I, I love this connection here to Isaiah 60, 18b. So 49, 16b and Isaiah 60, 18b. Your walls are continually before me. You know, and this is saying here in 49, God's saying, look, I know your walls are torn up. I know the physical city is destroyed, but they're in my eyes and I have a plan. And then look at this, 60, 18. You shall call your walls salvation and your gates praise. You shall call your walls. I know they look destroyed right now. I know your life looks like it's messed up right now, but you're gonna call your walls salvation and your gates praise. And then 49, 17, your sons will hurry to you. Your destroyers will leave you. In the Masoretic text the, and the great Isaiah scroll of, of Qumran, it's sons. The sons are coming, which brings us to point three. Look up, Zion Church. See all your children that God will give you. God calls Zion, calls the church, calls you to hear his word and to see and to trust in his word about your real home and the homecoming for all God's children. 49, 17, your sons will hurry to you. And then 49, 18, raise your eyes all around and see. They all gather together and come to you. Now, just skipping ahead in Isaiah 49, verse 20. Once more, the sons for whom you were bereaved will yet say in your ears, this place is too cramped for me. Make room for me that I may dwell here. Let me explain to you what we just read. Some of you, and I know this, some of you have lost children, have lost children from your own household. Some have lost children to death, others broken relationships. But do you hear what God's promise is saying? The sons for whom you are bereaved will come. And you know, sometimes when we do have children in our homes, they kind of get on our nerves a little bit saying, this house is too little or I need a bigger room, right? But you know what? If they're dead or if they're gone from your life, you would give anything just to hear those complaints again, right? And, and so this is what this verse 20 is, is picturing here. Once more, the sons for whom you were bereaved will yet say in your ears, the place is too cramped for me. Make room for me that I may dwell here. The sons for whom you were bereaved. Make room for me that I may dwell here. Catch the connection there. Even in the English, you should be hearing it. The, the Hebrew, the base verb is uh, yashab. It means to dwell. Va'ezhashabah, here. And it's, it's connecting to all these psalms that David's talking about dwelling, right? Psalm 27, verse 4. We've read from 27 already. One thing I've asked of the Lord, that will I seek after. What do you want more than anything? That I may dwell, you hear that? That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon his beauty. And come on, you got to know this, right? The closing verse of Psalm 23. Hmm? Closing verse of Psalm 23. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will do what? Dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's what God is promising, a home where you are known and where you have a place forever. And the Lord himself makes the home for us. As Moses said, Adonai, you have been our dwelling place for all generations, forever in his hands, forever in his home. God calls Zion, the church, 
It calls you to hear the homecoming cry and to believe and to see it. As I live, declares the Lord, you shall clothe yourselves with them all. That means all the children. You know how I love when moms have like necklaces with the names of their children on it? This is like that. Or grandmoms with the names of all their grandchildren. You shall clothe yourselves with them all as an ornament and bind them on yourself as a bride does. And here comes the restoration. Even better than Eden. Revelation 21.2. And then I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, having been adorned for her husband. How is the bride of Christ adorned? We just heard it. Isaiah 49 told you. With all those children. Trust and believe. His heart, his hands, his home forever. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, to you alone be all glory, and let us come home to you, especially this day. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.